Welcome to Deep Thoughts with the Dixons. Now here are your hosts, Nina and Brian Dixon. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Deep Thoughts with the Dixons. Thank you so much for joining us again. We really appreciate it. So we're going to recap a little bit of things that occurred since the last podcast. So one thing that was pretty exciting for all you sports fans out there was the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup. I watched zero games. (laughs) I'm not a big sports person myself, but I know the city got pretty crazy about it. And it was pretty interesting. After they had actually won, they had a huge parade in downtown St. Louis. And from what I read, there was like half a million plus people that were down there to celebrate for the Stanley Cup victory parade. And just a bunch of people down there partying and celebrating and congratulating the team for you know winning the championship, which is pretty cool because the Blues has never won it before. So I think it was it provided a lot of interesting spotlight on the city of St. Louis, and I know there was a lot of people that are really big into sports that found that very interesting and were super pumped and jazzed about it. So congrats to those guys for a great season. Uh, yeah, what were we doing, though? So <laughs> I don't usually watch a lot of sports in general. Um, I have never been a big sports person. I even remember back in college when I had buddies, and they would spend like all day Saturday and all day Sunday of almost every single weekend watching like every college football game or golf or baseball or basketball or whatever was on TV sports related. And I could literally sit down and watch sports for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then I was like, this is boring me to death. And I would have to go to the gym or I would go watch a UFO documentary or anything else besides that that I was more fascinated in. But um Particularly for us, just recently, we had some exciting news. Is one of the big reasons that we weren't watching any of these games is we had been going through a transaction for the sale of one of our businesses. So we're super excited about that. Um, we successfully sold the business, and it worked out really well for us. And now we are moving forward with our other ventures that we have lined up. So. That's the big reason that we weren't really paying attention much to the Stanley Cup. But now that that's all wrapped up, uh, we're moving forward. And I think we had a lot of great experiences with this business that we had that we just sold. And we're excited to continue with all the other projects that we're working on. Uh, Nina, you went out of town recently. Why don't you tell everybody about that? Oh, yeah. So this past weekend, um, I was in Pittsburgh visiting my family. So I got to spend about three or four days with them. Kind of got to hung out there and we found some like really really cool new vegan spots that neither of us had been to so it was fun and I just I just flew back in last late last night and so we're usually we usually record like a week in advance but this is going to be released on Tuesday and today's Sunday so we're like two days out which is like not normal for us but we had a lot going on Yeah. yeah we've been super busy so for this episode, moving and this one and moving forward, we thought that we would add, we would try to add more value to each episode in general. And I know we try to add books and recommendations and quotes at the end of each episode, but then I kind of thought like, why not share some like lifestyle tips that like enhance our maybe health or our skincare routine or our life in general, like things that we do consciously because it just happens to work for us in some way. So today I thought we would share water and I have been reading a lot of articles on a study that they have done on skin in general. And I learned that many people prematurely 
get wrinkles on their face. And right now, for those of you that don't know, I'm kind of crazy about facial skincare. You know this about me right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm even like putting like sunscreen in Brian's bathroom, like putting like anti-wrinkling creams in his bathroom for him. He's like walking into mine, using my stuff all the time. Like I'm, I'm really like focusing on skin. And so they say that premature aging a lot of the times happens because there's not enough water intake in general as like people, like we don't remember to drink enough water. And I know they say, what is it? Eight glasses of eight ounce, right? Eight ounce glasses, eight glasses of water every day. Well, technically you should be drinking whatever weight you have, whatever your body weight is in ounces. So if you're, how, how much do you weigh? I weigh about 185 pounds. So if you're at 185, you need to be drinking 185 ounces of water a day. And if you work out, you need to be drinking more than that. I have to, I'm not going to share how much I weigh, but I have to be drinking my amount in my ounces. So you should be doing that. And I've been doing this probably since January, but there are days that I forget to, and then I kind of like hop off the wagon and I have to get back on. And it's not easy to remember to do that constantly, especially if you have like a full-time job. I mean, if you're home and you know doing, you should be able to keep up with it. But that's a big reason why people prematurely age. Then I started paying attention to people in my family. My dad drinks eight or nine glasses of water every single morning. You he, know, like, he gets it like lukewarm. Like he like puts it out the night before. And then every morning, first thing when he wakes up, he just like pounds eight glasses back to back to back yeah, right away. Yeah. He doesn't, um, it's, it's room temperature water. It's not cold. It's not hot. You're right. It's a Explain de- that too, because I actually didn't realize this until your family taught me this about drinking cold water versus drinking water without ice and it's room temperature. Oh, that's a and good And from point. the research, I think a lot of people don't realize this and I didn't until I learned, but when you actually drink cold water, your body ends up exerting more energy to lower the temperature of the water before it actually fully digests. And when you drink room temperature water, your body absorbs it much faster. It's hydrating immediately. Like it it does what it's supposed to do. So that water is supposed to go into your kidneys and flush out your kidneys and clean, keep your liver clean. Along with that, your skin takes on that water and hydrates the rest of your body. That's much easier and quicker for your body to do when that water is room temperature. Another reason no one drinks cold water in my family is because cold ice water is bad for your teeth. If you notice, like anybody in my family, even generations back and my grandparents, they all have their original teeth. Like nobody has dentures, nobody has cavities, nobody has issues with their teeth and they're like 88 years old. And so that's a big reason is that that's not good for you. I see people when we go out having like a cup of coffee here, a tea over here, and then the ice water and ice lemonade over here. And that's that's terrible to do. Doesn't your grand... For speaking of teeth, doesn't your grandfather brush his teeth with like a neem yes, root? So, yeah, ne- we're going all over the place now. But neem is a tree root, like a tree bark. And it does exactly what toothpaste does. That's the exact same properties of this like natural bark, so to speak. I find it interesting because your grandpa has like some of the most ridiculously straight and white teeth I've ever seen. I know. No braces, no cavities. He's 87 years old. And, and he brushes his teeth with tree, with this thing. tree yeah. bark called neem every day. And they're day. super white and like clean. They're like my mom's teeth. Like my mom's teeth take after his. So anyways, back to the water. Um, so that's why you should be drinking room temperature water all the time. And it just like digests better. Don't drink ice cold water. That's bad for your teeth. And it forces your body to have to regulate that temperature before it goes anywhere else. Another 
thing that I have noticed with water is people drink water with their meal a lot here. That's like the norm. And in other cultures, you're not supposed to have a glass of water with your food. You're either supposed to drink that glass of water 20 to 30 minutes before you start eating your meal or one to one and a half hours after you're done eating your meal. This is for the same reason. When your food is digest, when your body is digesting food, it's doing so in a different manner using different body enzymes and whatnot to help digest that food. When you add water to the mix, especially if it's cold water or hot water, now your body's trying to do both things at once and where that food and those nutrients and where that water is supposed to go in all these places of your body gets all out of whack. So people don't really pay attention to that, but that's something that I grew up with and I, I do think it works. I just look at my extended family members and it seems to be working for them. So that's the first thing with water. Drink enough water, your body weight in ounces every day. If you work out, drink a little bit more. Try to make sure that it's room temperature and don't mix hot and cold drinks together in in one sitting. That's not good for you. And then you have to make sure, we have said this before in a previous episode, make sure that the water that you're drinking is fluoride-free water. I'm not going to get too much into this. If you want to, you can go back to like one of our, I think it's our first or second episode. We do talk about this. Fluoride water is everywhere. Restaurants you go to, the grocery store bottled water you buy. It's literally everywhere. You have to do your research. You have to Google what bottles of water do not contain fluoride. Unfortunately, in the US, you have to actually seek out fluoride-free water. Oh, yeah. So... You know, there's different levels you can take with it to try to rid it from your life. But the best thing to start with, I think, is trying to seek out fluoride-free drinking water. And then if you really want to advance into it further, a next step would be like, you know, fluoride water comes out of your tap water in your house when you're using your kitchen sink or you're showering. That's all fluoride-infused water. And you can actually buy filtration systems because that's another way that fluoride enters your system is not just through drinking water, but also when like tap water hits your skin, your skin absorbs all that as well. And it has similar effects. And so the best way is to start with the drinking water. But over time, if you really want to rid it completely, you can look into like filtration systems that go in your water supply within your home or apartment. Some waters, we, we drink the green bottle. What is it called? Mountain? Mountain Valley. Mountain Valley is a green bottle that's found pretty much everywhere here in the States. I know Penta, the purple and clear plastic bottle, that's fluoride-free. Fiji is uh, fluoride-free. Smart Water is fluoride-free. What's another one? Essentials, I think it's called Essentials. That's fluoride-free. Evian is fluoride-free, I believe. So there's options out there. And if you want, um, we, have a, we have that water cooler in our house that like delivers. It's called Aqua Systems. Uh, here in St. Louis, it's called Aqua Systems. I think back home in Pennsylvania, there's Glen Summit. Um, there's another company too, Glen Summit and something else. Um, but you can always like go to your local water delivery system and all that is natural spring water without fluoride too. But the reason, another reason you don't want fluoride in your water is because there are studies out there that are now being released from the CDC, which is a center, what is it? Center of Disease and Control. Center for Disease Control. (laughs) Yeah, that. (laughs) That they're, they're saying that Fluoride is slowly causing uh, deformate. What is it? Deformations. I mean, there's just so many issues with it. They've released all this research that they had, and they had been sitting on for a long time that they knew about the harmful effects of certain fluoride. kind of cancers too are in that list, and they don't really know how to release this information and make changes without scaring everybody because fluoride's everywhere. 
But that's another reason. And also it calcifies your pineal gland, which is like in the middle of your forehead up here. Your pineal gland is the gland within your brain that secretes the chemical called DMT, dimethyltryptamine, that releases when you are born, when you pass away, and also when you have very vivid dreams at night, night, you start to secrete a little bit of that DMT. And it is an extremely abundant chemical found all throughout nature. And when your pineal gland within your brain is calcified, it begins to slowly stop secreting as much DMT, which can affect your hormones and your dreaming capabilities, which is actually important for like sleep release and connections with the metaphysical world. You do. You can tell a difference when you start to focus on your water. I would give it two weeks of drinking fluoride-free water and just notice the difference. And be strict about it because when you go into restaurants, we take our own water. I want to be clear too, though. Whenever we first did this fluoride-free water test, we weren't drinking anything else. So we didn't drink any alcohol for that period of time. We don't drink soda ever. But if you're drinking yeah. soda, that's got fluoride in it. So you have to pay attention to We also took it out of our toothpaste. Um, and so you have to be very conscious of the other activities you're doing, or you may not notice as big of a enhancement by switching over to that. But it was a big, big wake up when we first recognized it to the point where I think about 10 to 14 days after we had started drinking exclusively that we woke up one morning and we were felt like a veil was lifted. It was pretty remarkable. So you want to focus on the water, but here's what we do to be able to take in you know, the body weight and ounces of water, because sometimes it's not just, you know, I I love water, don't get me wrong, but some people need flavor for it. And I think that we can always enhance, like if we're drinking X amount of ounces of water every day, you can do things to enhance that. So what I've been doing recently is adding a ton of lemon, freshly squeezed lemon to our water. I think you know what I'm talking, what is that thing called where we put our water in? It's called a water container. <laughs> okay, fine. And it's got a little like nozzle on it and you can, you know, take it out. So every day I make that water and I put in about six to seven freshly squeezed lemons in there and then like a handful of fresh washed mint in there. It tastes for, by, It tastes amazing and great. But the reason I add that to the water is for, because our bodies have a natural pH balance that is, that is balanced between acidic and alkaline. And I'm not going to get too far into this either because it's supposed to be a tiny lifestyle tip here and I'm going on forever. But if your body is too acidic, that's when things like cancer, mucus, inflammation, all these issues happen to you. When your body's alkaline, doctors have done a ton of tests on this and have shown an alkaline body is disease free. An alkaline body is a very healthy body and these diseases cannot form or grow or spread in your body. Lemon is acidic. But when lemon digests in your body and goes in, it turns alkaline. So that's the little thing there. I know many people are probably like, lemon's acidic though. No, no, no. When it goes through your body, it's alkaline. So keeping your body alkaline all the time is a really, really good way to prevent yourself from getting sick. And not just that, it's, it's high in vitamin C, it aids in digestion, it helps clear your skin, it gets rid of wrinkles. The mint has really, really rich nutrients in it that many herbs and daily foods that we take in don't have. So it's a really, really good supplement. So that's our little lifestyle tip. I wanted to track back for a second something you said about our the water in our showers. For people who might have like psoriasis or eczema, I have very light eczema on my skin or on my face, on my left-hand side. The water in my parents' house is filtered so that the water that I shower in is fluoride-free. 
and the water here in Missouri that I shower in is not filtered, I can absolutely tell the difference when I'm home versus when I'm here. We have very hard water yeah. in the state of Missouri. And so like it'll like inflame, it'll get itchy, it'll like be, it's obvious on my face, like I have to cover it up with makeup. Like it's it's very apparent to me, which just tells me like fluoridated water is just terrible for you all around. So to trace back really quickly, drink lots of water, preferably your body weight in ounces, make sure it's fluoride-free water. Try to make sure that it's room temperature water and lots of lemon and mint in your water for added benefits. Yeah. And if you really want to take it to the next level, you could do something that I did a few years back when I took a pilgrimage to Nepal and I bought a very (laughs) rare mountain goat and I had it shipped back on Amazon supply chain. And then when I got it back home every morning, I'll go out at about 4.30 a.m. and I'll slowly massage its calves. <laughs> and then I will milk it while I play Celine Dion in the background. And then I'll rub the milk on my face. What does that have to do with water? No, it has to do with how good it makes my skin look. Killing the game. Mountain goat oh status. My, oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, another announcement before we move on is going to be, um, we're working on our video podcast. I would assume like maybe three to four weeks we should have our first video podcast up. Although we are going on vacation in like three weeks. So yeah, three to four weeks, give or take. That should be coming soon. Um, our topic of today is going to be on... This is weird because we didn't research this topic. It's kind of out of left field for us. Um, it's on education. I actually had a thought without effort about this topic. And whenever I get those information I call them energy. Downloads. I call them downloads and energy packages. Whenever I get those thought without efforts from the divine source, I'm always like, okay, I got to act on this. Well, it was weird because this was like earlier last week that I thought of it. And I have a bunch of topics written down, but for some reason this popped in my head. And I had texted you at work and I was like, hey, what do you think about like an education topic? Like what it used to be, what it is now. And yeah, it's our opinion on it now. Like, obviously, I'm not saying that what we're saying is always right. I'm just saying it's our opinion and we're sharing it with the world. What about this? And your reaction, for those of you who don't know Brian, he's a very calm and composed, laid back kind of dude. And he responds with, oh my God, I could do so much bashing on that. (laughs) (laughs) So I knew I was on the right path with this and we had to talk about it. So here we are. Largely because I think this is a topic that... I'm passionate about, in a sense, because so many people continually to get bamboozled by the education system. And I think that's what we'll go into as we talk through it, because both Nina and myself have been through, you know, some of the highest extensions of what you can do when it comes to education by going from early school all the way through, you know, postgraduate degrees and things of that nature. So we'll go into that. But I think it's a topic that if I would have known back before I decided to do it, what I know now, I would have made very different decisions. I just think that I, I really feel that as, as an evolving world on a very individual level and on a collective level, you know, we're all evolving at all times. The world is evolving. Our universe is re- evolving, sorry, and growing. And I just don't see certain things in our quote unquote matrix or our society that are evolving with it. You know, it's, it's, I think it's important to, to realize that things have shifted. And education, in my opinion now, someone could think differently, does not hold the same power anymore or like the same uh, clout 
Do you know what clout means? Yeah, for sure. And I think when we say that, we don't mean it doesn't hold the same power because education in the right way is tremendous power in how you can live your life. But what we're referring to is the institutional educational systems in oh, the global yeah, society. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about like, I'm talking preschool. Education. Yeah, I'm talking about preschool, kindergarten, high school, college. After college, you got to go to graduate school or whatever and get a professional degree. I'm talking about that. That's what I mean by education. It's an educational system and it's a big, big, big part of our society. Think about it. From how old do you have to be to go to preschool? What is it? Usually like five or six years old, you start going to preschool. No, six years old, I was in first grade. What, three or four? I don't know. From that moment on till your mid 20s, some of us 30s, doctors are in school forever. You are in this institutional system, so to speak. This is where you spend the most of your time. Okay. This is also a very pivotal time in the human psyche and the human mind where we grow, where we evolve, where we become something, right? We are shaping our minds and our thoughts. And so I think it's very important to realize this. And I think that we have to acknowledge the change today in our society and realize that this education system does not hold the same benefits, so to speak, if there were any in the past, which we'll get into later. And we should be able to honor that and pivot accordingly and freely explore other ways and other options of kind of getting that quote unquote education or making a living for ourselves. And I'm not saying this to hate on education. I'm not saying this because I myself went through it. I just believe that for some of us out there, it's not the path. Like some of us don't need that. Some of us don't need that clutch, so to speak. I think it's something we're thrown into because we're not even old enough to voice our opinions of yes or no. We're not old enough to know what it is that we want to do. Well, I think it's okay not to know not to know what you want to do and just sit, step back and take some time to figure it out. It doesn't mean you have to go be pushed into education because you don't know what... That was my story. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So they're like, okay, you're going here and you're doing this. You know, like I don't think that's helpful and I don't think that that's appropriate. And I also don't think that for this generation growing up now, it's so different. You know, they don't view education the same way. And my only reason for wanting to do this episode on education is to bring it to the surface and to be able to openly talk about it. And maybe it's going to resonate with some of you that one, if you did go through your traditional educational route and now you don't know why because you're not using it, that's completely okay. There's a ton of different ways to make a living and be happy. And second, if you're somebody who didn't go but wonders if your salary or your you know financial capabilities would be higher had you gone through an educational route when you were younger, I would say no, right? I think that your potential in this universe here on this world to make a living and be happy is limitless. I don't think you're limited by your education or a piece of paper. So that's why we wanted to talk about this. Let's go into... Why don't we first talk a little bit about our educational cycle with our life to give people an understanding of what we went through through each point so that they can have a better point of reference to understand like these are our point of views from what we experienced throughout it before we kind of dive deep into the specifics of this topic. Okay. I think yours and mine are the same, right? It's very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So I... Obviously, started my educational journey when it comes to institutional education in preschool. 
went to another school that was kindergarten through fifth grade. Then I transitioned from there into a sixth to eighth grade middle school that was separate from the elementary school that was kindergarten through fifth grade. I know some schools have like kindergarten all the way through eighth grade. Uh, The ones that I were in were elementary that stopped in fifth grade. And then I transitioned in middle school to sixth to eighth grade. And then I transitioned from there into high school, which was, you know, freshman through senior year. You rode the short bus, didn't you? I rode the short bus. It had tinted windows on it and it had huge subwoofers in the back and we were usually bumping 50 cent. And uh, when I got done with high school, I transitioned to university and I went to for four years there. My degree that I got there, I bounced around and, and switched my major up a ton of different times. I started from like business and then I went into psychology and then I just didn't really have an understanding at that time what I wanted to do. And my educational institutions didn't do a good job of helping guide me and align me with the things that I really did want to do. No, it's like force feeding information. Memorize this. Figure this math problem out. There, it's, there's nothing there saying. There's no course in in high school or college helping you figure out like where your passions lie and what you're good at. Yeah, and so I went through university. Still didn't know what I wanted to do yet. And had an older family member who was in the law field, was an attorney. And when I was in my last year of university, he had reached out and, you know, said that, hey, why don't you come and work at the law firm for a bit and see if this is something you're interested in that you want to do. And so I ended up doing that for about a year. And then I decided, okay, I'll go to law school. And so I took all the exams for that, ended up going to law school and, uh, ended up becoming in one of the best law schools in the whole country. And the process I learned through that was that they, it just really was focused, I feel a lot like on their statistics. And so they, they, you know, they provided an education and there's a lot of people and great connections that I made when I was at school there. But the actual process that I learned there, I didn't think was very valuable at all in terms of what I actually needed to know to practice law. It was very rudimentary and archaic case law that, you know, maybe applied still today, but it was much more like teaching you the building blocks to get to it. But when it actually came to creating a profession in the legal space, they didn't teach you a thing about this is how you generate a client. This is how you market. This is how you do operations in a law firm. This is how you, you know, do, this is how you go to court, like things like that. Like they don't teach you any of that. Just like an undergrad, they don't teach you anything in regards to what you actually need to know when you enter the real world. So I went through all of that schooling coming out of law school. And luckily, while I was in law school, I learned about uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, which I've talked in past episodes, which really struck a chord in me and more of entrepreneurship to guide me on the path that I did want to go on. But it didn't really provide me at all with the necessary skill sets to enter the real world. It didn't provide me with information and knowledge on how to source opportunities, how to go and actually develop relationships within a business environment, develop clients in different ways, like different types of sales and marketing, and really the important things you need to know if you're a business owner or even you go work for another company. It's just not taught. It's much more 
information around, let me show you how to memorize this so that you can repeat it on an examination. And then we're going to provide you a very arbitrary score based off how much, how good you are at memorization. But when it comes to actually applying the knowledge that we've taught you in the real world, uh, that doesn't really matter too much. We're not really focused on that. We're focused on repeating the cycle. And something about what I learned throughout my time in education when it comes to institutional education was never once throughout every single year of all that school I went to, so much school, so much money spent on school, so much time, so much energy from when I was, what, three, four, five years old, all the way up until I got done with law school when I was probably, what, 25 or 26 around that time. That entire time, not once did any class or any teacher ask what I think is the most basic and important question that should be asked to any human being in a school setting when asked, what do you want to do with your life or your career? To which never did I ever hear a teacher say, you should do what makes you happy. Everybody always said, you've got to do this or you've got to do that because you have to generate an income to do that because that's the real world. And even if that makes you miserable, that's what you have to do. I never, out of all those years of school, had anybody say, you should do what makes you happy. No well, teacher the, ever said that. The first thing they say to you, if you, if as a kid, you even did say, I don't want to do it. I don't like to do it. You know, this doesn't make me happy. What do, what do people say? I'm not going to point certain people out, but what do they say? They say, well, I do things every day that don't make me happy, but I have to go do them. And there's a reason for that. It's because it's a deadly cycle because of a generational misuse of our educational institutions. Everybody's programmed this, and once they get out of school, they think, I've got to go do this to make a paycheck to pay for my expenses, and then I got to continue to do it over and over again. And then by the time they have children and their children start complaining because they realize how jaded our society is, the parents are so programmed that they say, well, I had to do it, and so you have to do it too. There's no enlightenment. Yeah, and there's no understanding that, listen, from one generation to the next generation, there's evolution, there's evolvement, society changes, opportunities change, careers change, there's more out there to do, there's more out there to seek. And I, you're right, that shift never happens. It's just this vicious cycle from generation to generation to generation. With that being said, I, I mean, I had, the sim, I had a similar thing with you all the way up through law school. I think I did one year of master's in, um, between college and law school, I did a year of master's in business. And then I got accepted into law school and that's when I left. But my, my pivotal moment was when I went out in the real world to practice law, I had really quickly within weeks and months noticed that just like our education system, the law is not conducive to today's society. How can we make these pigeonholed laws, these concrete laws, and apply them to everyone and anything in any situation? How is that possible when real life and real world is so unpredictable? How can you make a law around that? You know, like when you go to, and I know any attorney listening to this will understand what I'm trying to say. I think you understand this is that you can't have a one size fits all. And then I thought about education. You can't have a one size fits all. And that's just how our society is built that we are forced. I'll go back to the same reference as sheeple or as sleepers to follow this one system that we're all supposed to fit into quote unquote, but that is humans. That's not how we're built or created. You know, we, as our nature is evolution, our nature is change, our nature is growth, our nature is expansion. 
but our laws don't are not congruent to that lifestyle, and that's why you have so many issues in our legal system, which everyone knows about. And our education system has made a ton of money and a ton of profit and has just pumped and juiced out a bunch of graduates, just unhappy people working at dead-end jobs, trying to keep their jobs secured, trying to keep, keep a salary, which they're using to pay back their high... Uh, student loans. Oh yeah, the student loan issue is ridiculous. I so, mean, I know so many people that went through school, and after law school, they had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt that they didn't even have time to sit back and find something that they were really passionate about because they immediately had to get any position that was offered to them so they could start servicing that debt. And I know a ton of people that are working in legal jobs that they absolutely despise and are representing clients that are doing things that they don't even agree with because they have no other choice because now they're in so much debt. Like how much value is, is an educational system that perpetually puts somebody in debt so that then after they get out, they, they're like a slave to society. This is what the, one of the bigger issues is, and it's a much more long form issue over the course of years into how our system is designed, is that we've created a system where it perpetually motivates somebody to create debt that they don't even realize they're going to be creating long term until they're in it. And what I mean by that is, We've created a society that praises having these nice things or praises having a big house or a nice car or material possessions and having an education with this diploma on the wall so that you can earn more money. So many people follow that because they're not aware or they don't have an understanding of how the whole system is designed. And then they get out of school, they're in debt and they have to service that debt at a job they may not enjoy. Then they're going and they're buying a home or a car they can't afford. So they're servicing the note or payment on that car or house. And then they're perpetually in more debt. Then they're buying things uh, that they can't afford, whether it's clothing items or vacations or things like that, because they see other people doing it that are all stuck in the exact same system. And then before you know it, you have the, you have the current United States problem. Look how much debt our entire country is right now. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but let's back up for a second. There, why do you think our educational system, nobody teaches you taxes, Nobody teaches you financial the, literacy. Exactly. The credit deb- debit system. All this is what I, I knew this at a very young age to build up credit and have a good credit score. You had to be and take out and have some sort of debt. Don't you? That's, that's common knowledge for most people, right? How screwed up is that when you don't even spend one class learning financial literacy and learning how to pay back that debt or learning about interest rates or learning about the years that it takes to pay that back. Nothing. It's almost designed on purpose to work against you and to work as a self-serving, self-profitable system for the institution, for the educational institutional systems that we have in place today. And then the second thing I thought of while you were speaking is my issue with going to school for one thing and putting behind all this money and going into debt and all this stuff is that you may at 18 not really be sure what you want to do. And then you may be 22 or 21 in college changing majors back and forth, but still not be 1000% passionate about what you're doing. But you're kind of just coasting. We've all been there, right? We're all just kind of coasting through and you don't, you're not even, you're not developed enough 
you haven't experienced enough life yet. Everything that you think you do want or know is based on outside people's opinions and judgments telling you what's good or bad for you in your future, basically. So your belief system and your decision to go in a certain major or a certain career line is not really based on you. It's not based on what you want. It's based on what your family said. It's based on what society says holds like a high paying job. It's, it's based on those things, external things. And then you go, you go into this job and you're 10 years in, you're five years in, you're three years in, you are not the same human being that you were when you were 21 or 18, when you decided to go down this path. So now once you're in it years down the line, down the road, you have grown or evolved as a human being. Maybe you don't align with this line of work anymore. And to step away from that and now make a conscious decision for yourself to pivot away from that career is frowned upon. That's my issue, is that nothing is evolving. Nothing, our educational system doesn't evolve. People evolve, but them evolving, trying to get their careers to evolve with them is not allowed. The legal system for you and I, like as we see it, that, that those laws are not evolving and changing with the times. How many issues are coming up with the self-driving autonomous cars and insurance? That's going to change everything. You think our laws are ready to keep up with it? No. Yeah, from a technology standpoint, autonomous vehicles will be ready to hit the road in like the next couple of years. If the technology is getting a lot closer now, the biggest issue about having a more full autonomous fleet of vehicles is regulatory and yeah. legal repercussions, exactly. right? And the laws... And this happens in pretty much every industry where technology is advancing incredibly quick is the tech is there to solve problems, but it's the regulatory bodies that are so archaic and stuck in the past that they can't write or even keep up with the technology to understand it, to rewrite legislation in the right fashion fast enough. The same issues in our medical, uh, the medical field with laws and regulations and rules, the same as in our food industry. So what I'm trying to show here and portray here between the education system before something that Brian and I went after and also careers in general is that we are as humans evolving. Nothing that humans have created in the system, in the society is built to evolve with us. And so when we evolve and we push against it, everyone else around us says, no, how could you? You have bills to pay. You have a debt to pay. You have to take care of your wife or your husband or your kids. You can't do that. That's so risky. You know, it's hard to get a job out there. You're lucky you even have a job. You see that fear-based mindset that keeps playing and playing and playing? That's my issue with all of this. Let's go back to your experience and my experience. I know that we've bashed it enough, but now... Let's talk about the pros and cons of traditional education. In my opinion, I learned, this is just the difference that I see between myself and other people who haven't gone to college or past college. I find the pros are, I'm a very disciplined individual, very focused individual, and I'm very resilient and persistent because there were things that I had to do to get really good grades or to study hard that put me in this kind of you know, like a practice, like I have to put in the time, I have to put in the work, I have to sit here and focus for 12 hours, you know, in a law library. I, if I don't do good on the first test, I got to like bump that grade up now and I got to like push it into high gear. I have to maintain my health and my fitness. I have to work out. I have to eat right. Like these things happened for me in school. And it doesn't, I know it doesn't happen for everybody. Not everyone picks up on these same traits, but for me personally, that's what I learned. And if I look back and I say, what do I credit 
traditional education for. It's like my, just kind of like my regimented me as a person, how I approach things in life. I also prioritize very intelligently and well as when I see other people who are like fresh out of college or high schoolers, they kind of, you, you throw things at them and they're kind of just like all combobulated and confused. This was very apparent for me when people worked for me in HR, that these girls just couldn't multitask and they couldn't prioritize and like kind of use like their common sense to do certain things. And I don't mean this in a bad way. So I, I would feel that those are my, those are the pros what are yours? Which are funny because those pros. But I, you don't. You don't need to spend four hundred thousand dollars to gain those pros, right? They're like my parents could have taught me that. Yeah, so I was gonna say it's they're they're not what you were going for school, right? For, mm-hmm. however, as a byproduct of being there, it's something that you learned. So, for me, I think some of the bigger pros for going through school systems were social adaptability and development. In terms, I was. I've always been like a very social person. And so being able to learn the ins and outs and well, develop, I didn't learn that. <laughs> being able to learn the ins and outs of like developing the relationships with people and, you know, kind of just the, the social activity that you gain that's I think different when you enter higher education than what it's like probably in middle school or high school. Uh, you begin to, because then you're kind of more out on your own for most people. They're usually, sometimes you're living away from home and you're on your own. So the, the social engagement, I think is something that's very different from what I learned before when it comes to like my younger education. And I advanced even more in law school. I think when I went to graduate school, I was much more focused than I was when I was an undergrad. In undergrad, I was kind of all over the place and a little too social at times. <laughs> and uh, But when I went to graduate school, I really started to button down. And what that taught me I think was like you mentioned, it was very it was about discipline. And it was much more, anything that I learned about the law, it was much more, I mean, I learned all that stuff too, but what I thought was even more important than anything I was actually educated on in class was more of the byproducts outside of class. So the discipline it provided, the problem solving skills, the ability to figure out, and this is something that I've learned, I think, specific to law school. I'm not sure if it's the same in other graduate schools because I don't have experience with that. But what I learned personally was, it allowed me to be incredibly objective in situations more than I was before I had gone there. And also it, it created mechanisms for me to understand how to find answers to problems on my own without having to go to somebody else. And that's something I noticed too in the work world is that there's a lot of people that will come and ask you a question thinking that you know it before they even try to figure it out on their own. And that's something I feel like I learned throughout going through law school because what they would usually do for us is they would give us all these tasks and assignments and then that you would have to go like read the case information, develop your own hypothesis, and then apply the information. And you don't know if you were right or wrong at the time, but you really had to work incredibly hard on figuring out how to find the information to put the answer together. And I think that was probably one of the more beneficial pros that I had because now in the work world, and I think it's been extremely helpful for me as an entrepreneur, is that when I'm trying to solve problems, I've got to go find the answers and the solutions to these on my own or know how to gather the resources to extract that information on my own. And that's not something I was great at before I went through that process. So that was probably one of the bigger pros. 
In terms of having to go seek answers ourselves, um, I'm right there with you. And I think that's because we were given assignments or told to write a thesis or a paper or what are they called? Um, Not the case Briefs. briefs. No, not the briefs. They were like the longer like papers that we had to write in like specific writing, like AMLA style or whatever that was. And they don't teach you that. They literally tell you to go figure it out and you had to go down, find the MLA m- m- like book that taught you how to write in that style. It's like AMLA or something. And I think that's intentional on their part. They want you to yeah. go te- it's like you teach have to yourself go how to see- teach yourself. Yeah, you have to go seek that out yourself. And now you mentioned the working world that's helped you a lot in. For me personally, that's also helped me in my personal life. If I have an issue or if I have like, I don't know, something on my skin or if I have like a toothache or something, I tend to go seek answers myself. I don't tend to go to someone to tell me what's wrong with me. Does that make sense? Like I'm not, I don't seek my parents. I don't seek the doctor. I don't seek that. I go look and find the answer myself by using the internet or books. And I also apply that to diet, right? To working out, to fitness, to things that are related to our house. Like the other day our dishwasher broke and instead of asking you to fix it or asking you how to, I opened up YouTube and tried to fix it myself, right? So that's kind of parlayed into my life in all areas, not just my professional life. And I think that makes you a very self-sufficient individual and it also makes you less susceptible to outside how am I, how am I going to say this outside advice? Maybe what, how am I like, you don't really always want what the doctor's going to say, you know, he might misdiagnose you or he might give you an extreme, um, an extreme solution to your problem when you could just fix something by a little bit of research on your own in a much more holistic healing way. That's more healthy for you. Yeah. And I know we're talking about right now, just an example, more from a health perspective right here. Yeah. But I will say that friends of mine that I have that are doctors, they've even told me when you're in medical school, for example, when you're getting that education, you are not taught how to actually heal things as much as you are taught how to treat a symptom. And then by process of elimination, try to diagnose what the root causes. Mm. So that's a big problem. Think about that. All these doctors we have out in the world, that's purpose is supposed to provide health care, the root word care to people, but they don't even necessarily all know how to figure out what's actually wrong with you and provide the right treatment. It's not a cure. They're not here to cure you. Well, that's, that's a big problem, too. They're I think treating, that ties deeper with education into our system, yeah. in the medical profession specifically, because if a doctor cures you, a pharmaceutical company potentially is losing revenue streams. Well, well the doctor loses money, too, because now he can't bill your insurance company. This is true. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that go into it. It's very advanced and complicated. But like in schools, in medical schools, they're, for at least for my friends that are doctors, maybe there's others that I'm unaware of. Um, but from a lot of doctors that I've spoken with, they don't actually teach you about some of the very most important things when it comes to caring about your health, like how tweaks in your nutrition can actually affect you and reduce inflammation to prevent causing different types of terminal illnesses or how different types of like they don't teach anything about holistic healing. That, that's almost looked down upon as a joke. And then you have physicians that are prescribing all of these pharmaceutical and chemical based medications that 
in a lot of scenarios are not even necessary to cure people. Like we've got all these people in, in society running around thinking they're ADD or running around thinking that they're depressed and they don't like the majority of these people aren't. It's just that the doctors are prescribing this medication to people. And there's so many other ways that you can solve that without putting a chemical in your body. If they knew the right thing, they just weren't educated in the right way. I'll share a personal experience, which in where I credit traditional education for giving me the ability to seek out my own answers and do my own research and question everything. We're also taught to question everything in law school, right? I feel like you and I question everything. And so when I was a kid around like I'm in sixth grade, I had like really bad allergies. My mom took me to the allergy doctor. Now I'm a kid right now. So I'm, my parents are taking care of me, right? Taking it to the allergy doctor. And that's like, you know, it's inflammation and around spring and summer, like the eczema around my face would flare up too on the side. It's minimal. You can't, no, not many people know that I even have it. You do, my close family and friends do, but, and so the first thing the doctor said, I remember is it's not curable. There's no, there's nothing for this. I can only help you treat the symptoms of it sometimes and maybe make it go down a little bit. Okay. So they gave me a bunch of steroid creams to put on it, topical things, but it would always come back every year again and again. Now I'm in sixth grade. Fast forward to high school and college, it, it was here and there, up and down, dependent on the seasons and whatnot. Finally, I would say it was in probably end of college, beginning of law school, kind of that time period, I started studying about it. St- and I went to a different, der- I went to dermatologist this time. She says the same thing. There's no cure for it. You know, there's no cure for it. I can give you XYZ creams to put on it, blah, blah, blah. Not one person told me about diet. Not one person asked me what I eat or what I do, what I use on my face. Am I big into makeup? Do I wash my face with the wrong things? None of that was asked of me, okay? Now my mom chimes in and starts to say, hey, you wear too much makeup. Try to like tone that down and see what happens. I do. No, nope, nothing. It's still there. Fast forward to a couple months ago. I, it was for, I think it's the Missouri heat, to be honest, and the hard water here that for me, it's getting like really humid and muggy and my allergies are going crazy that it's kind of like at one of its extreme levels lately, a couple months ago. And so I Google this and it starts popping up that like really hot, humid weather and changes in your environment can cause this, this flare up on your skin. So I'm like, okay. So then I Google eczema in Missouri. Sure enough, it pops up that this year for people who deal with eczema psoriasis, it's really bad because of the weather. And if you work outside, work out outside, it's more prone to happening. Great. I've been running six miles every other day outside at the park, every morning in the sun. So I'm like, okay, that narrows it down. Then I start really digging into it and doing some research. And I turn to Ayurvedic medicine. I'm going to do a whole episode on this, but it's more around curing something that's wrong with your body. For people that don't know what Ayurvedic is, explain that to them. It's a more holistic, natural way of curing something that's wrong with you. Yes. So it's without medicine. It's without... Uh, it's without what we would call traditional medicine in the yeah. Western world, like chemical-based medicine. Yeah. So, and they're known to like cure things for good. So I started reading about that. And after a couple of weeks, I learned that it is curable. People have cured this for themselves if they put in the time and the effort. And it's been different things for different people. So I started taking some notes and I started following certain things where I came to a point where natural stuff that I was doing for myself, changes in my diet, it was saying that there's toxins in your liver, liver they're trying to clean out. 
And those toxins, when they're trying to clean out of your systems, they actually try to go back in your body and they come through your skin. That's your skin trying to release it. And the only, one of the ways to do this is to drink celery juice every morning on an empty stomach because celery juice cleans out your liver. And so I started doing that. It also said that I might have a deficiency in omegas. Well, I'm vegan, so I don't eat fish. And the only way I have, quote unquote, known to get my omegas is through fish oil capsules or eating fish, right? So I start Googling like omega for vegans, like how can vegans get this? I start taking that. And then it also says that I need more zinc in, or magnesium in my diet. And I looked it up. Sure enough, my diet does not really consist of much zinc and magnesium with what I'm taking in every day. So I add that to my routine. I also start using different facial products that are kind of healing products like witch hazel and aloe vera gel and all that. And I started limiting or putting sunscreen on before I used to go, go for my runs. It went down by 80%. You remember a couple weeks ago when it was like so red and I would wake up in the night just like itching. Like it was painful. And now it's like it's there, but it's not bothering me. Now for our listeners, what you just did, although it was significantly better for your body, some of our listeners may be thinking, that seems like a lot of work. Yeah. I would rather just put some type of chemical-based topical solution on my skin that the doctor gave me and hope it goes away. So what's your response to that? Because it never goes away. I've been dealing with this since I was in the sixth grade. Exactly. You would be in that scenario, you would be treating a symptom as opposed to healing the root cause. Also, the side effects of putting steroids on your skin, like it is scary, like so scary, like cancer, you know, eye cancer, like skin cancer. It's just obnoxious. What can happen to you if you continuously put steroids on your skin? That's why you see these long pharmaceutical commercials and it's like, take this topical solution and you may have. A broken hard, toe. Hard, a broken toe, <laughs> hard time sleeping, an increased chance of gambling, a third leg growing out of the side of your eyeball, all of these random things that pop up. And then at the very end, it's like, or death. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I would have put on my face. That sounds great. Yeah. Yet everybody does it. I don't get it. Everybody does it. It's like just, Nina and I don't take pharmaceuticals at all. No. And I think that, uh, you know, I in the past have taken them before. I've been prescribed pharmaceuticals before I was as aware as I am now about just how bad they are for mental and person. how like how much of an issue, no, not for a mental person, <laughs> um, but, you know, j- just all just random stuff throughout the years before I had an understanding of that now. And like, and this was all probably through disinformation and poor education and, and things that I was fed from the media and other types of books and things that I read that were, you, you know, a lot of times too, when you look at stuff, when it comes to a healthcare perspective, a lot of the studies that come out trying to promote some drug are usually funded by a subsidiary that has an organization above it that profits from the sale of that pharmaceutical. Uh, Yo Play Yogurt it has the breast cancer awareness pink ribbon all over it. There's a documentary that shows Yo Play funds that and markets that and pays money for that yeah. to show that you need to eat this kind of yogurt to prevent cancer in your body. Hello, dairy is what causes cancer. Dairy is... Well, that's not a direct line to that, but dairy is very inflammatory in, in all of terminal why is, illnesses. Why, the only reason vegetarians get cancer is because they intake dairy and milk. No, wait. That's, that's all, it's a, Sorry, dairy, dairy products. Yeah, that's what they say in, the, in What the Health. Okay, that's, I'm just saying that's one particular statement. That's kind of a blanket statement. There's a lot of different reasons why things could occur. However, it has been proven that 
dairy is incredibly inflammatory and can be a cause of terminal illnesses. I have another example of doing your own research and seeking out your own answers and not asking other people for these answers. Allergies. I last year I eliminated my allergies and never had to take a Zyrtec even when we went on vacations or you know stayed outside for long periods of time because I was juicing. And I had Googled this, that when you go on juice fasts and when you primarily you're drinking veggie and fruit juices in your system, it literally starts cleaning your body out of everything that you could have had an allergic reaction to. And so your body becomes immune and all the right things in your body begin to fire up and work properly, aka able to ward off things that would potentially cause you to have allergic reactions to your environment. And so I got off a little topic on here, but definitely questioning things and seeking your own answers out is something I would say I learned in school as well myself. Let's go into the cons of education. So I think one of the, I mean, there's a lot of cons, that's for sure. Um, A couple different ones that we'll highlight. One is it creates this... For you personally. So for me personally, some of the cons was, I think it was a tremendous expense It was a tremendous time and energy output that went into it. And something I learned, I guess, throughout the process that I became more aware of post-education, it was actually probably more, I learned this pretty early on, but it was as I was coming into high school and then I studied it more in college and then I got real deep into it in law school, was how I think our education system is not, could be better called an indoctrinization system. Like we become indoctrined from a very young age of what is expected from us and how we're supposed to obey within our society and the system that's designed. And it basically creates a wall around you and limits you from pursuing passions and being a creative individual. How is that personal to you? I'm saying it's something that I learned throughout the process when I saw other people around me and kind of I become aware of it like, why are we having to do this or why are we having to do that? I always questioned a lot with our educational system. And so for me personally, I think I understood that this system is very limiting in terms of it is restrictive of creativity. It's restrictive of following happiness and goals that you could monetize if you follow what your passions are. And it tries to put people within very defined boxes of you're going to go to school and you're going to be an accountant. You're going to go to school and you're going to be a lawyer. You're going to go to school and be a marketer. And it doesn't allow people to be interdisciplinary and and bridge across. Like like if you want to be an individual that has a fulfilling life and you like doing art and poetry and business and music and all these different things, there shouldn't be a reason why you can't dabble in multiple different things. You shouldn't be stuck. You're an accountant and you're only an accountant. It's based on labels and limits. It puts a ceiling on everything. And us as humans in our nature, we're not built that way. Like I said, when we first started this episode, there's constant evolution in us. Therefore, our professional lives that we spend the majority of our days partaking in should be evolving with us. So you're right. There's a lot of labels. And if you try to go outside those labels, you are told no, you are demoted or fired. Uh, Did you know like... This is so odd to me. You can't even hold an eight to five, nine to five job in a particular industry. And then at night, maybe go do something that you enjoy doing and get money from it. What do they call that? 
a lot of places have clauses within their contracts, their contracts. to say that you can't work yeah. for another organization while you're employed by us. And that to me is just, I mean, the control on everybody. Why? Um, I think one of the cons is there's no personal development. There's Nobody teaches us in education like how to develop as a person. I did all of my developing after a triggering event between 2012 and 2013. Like life taught me and life put me on that personal development path, which now is what this podcast is based on, right? Like that's what led me to read books that were never taught to, uh, showed to me in school, read things that are like spiritual or that about emotional intelligence, your gut health, you know, you can heal yourself, um, how to not react to things, how to control your emotions. And they were all these things that I was learning that were resonating with me and making me feel good, yet still a challenge at the same time on, wow, I was just taught X, Y, Z for the last 20 years. How am I going to like, how am I going to apply this in my life? You know? And so when you start to apply, I learned then when I started to apply these non-traditional things into my life and developed as a person and was happier and more confident and could like, you know, kind of like grab my way to what it is that I wanted to do next and realize that I was pissing the system off. I was disrupting something. I was taking a path that was less traveled. I was doing things that not, nobody else was doing now. That kind of disruption was now starting to show me, well, there's something here. This is what we should have learned about you know, and I can be an attorney. I can be a COO. I can have my startup business. I can be an investor too. I can do this too. I can start a podcast too. I can now work on a brand too. Yes, you can. We, that's what we're built for. Humans have to express themselves. Humans have to, like they say the universe works through you. Things come through you. Ideas happen through you and our educational system and our workforce afterwards doesn't allow for that. It stops you from all of that. You know, I was wa- watching a clip recently and there was a guy talking to a audience about education and he asked the audience, he said, everybody in this room, and there was probably like 150 people in this particular talk. He goes, everybody in this room, raise your hand if you have a college degree. And I would say about 98% of the room raised their hand in this particular talk. And then he goes, keep your hand raised if you have a college degree and in the last 30 days you've read either a self-help or business book and about 95% of the hands went down and this person said that's one of the biggest problems in our society is people think that they go to school to learn this given craft to go and get a job and then they think education is done The people that reach the highest levels of development, both personally and professionally, are the lifelong curious learners, the people that continually try to educate themselves and be better. And if you accept this false reality that you're going to have this given craft and do that the rest of your life and you're stuck in this box, then I think that's a very limited reality to have. And you have to continuously understand that education is something you should be doing until the day you die. You should be doing it continuously. You should be infinitely curious. And that's something that school does not teach. It does not teach us to be curious and ask questions. It teaches us to obey 
and to do what we're told. And I think another problem with education is it's really a fear-based reward system. Like think about how in every single grade or every class you've ever taken for the most part is structured. It's you're going to get ranked by class participation, examinations, labs, whatever it happens to be, papers that you write, and you're either going to get in A, B, C, D, or F. That is literally structuring somebody to have a fear-based thing to say, if I'm not good enough, I'm going to fail this class. Well, go back to thinking about that time when you were kids. You and I were, we were not afraid, or anyone listening, we were not afraid of getting that stupid letter grade or getting that F. We were more afraid of our parents yelling at us. We were more afraid of having to go home and take this F and have my parents sign off on it and then come back to the teacher so the teacher knows that your parents saw it, right? I don't know if you guys had to do that. We did. That's what we were afraid of. And so that continues on. And then as you get older, your parents are asking, how'd you do? How's your progress support? How's this? You, I didn't really personally care. I was more afraid of everybody else yelling at me or you know, holding me back because in society, if I was held back in my grade, that was a terrible thing to happen. And I've actually had this conversation with people before that are like die hard on believing this, that our educational system is very, very good in Mm -hmm. the way that it approaches things. And one of the rebuttals that I'll get for that statement I just made is, well, Brian, you got to have a way to weed out the people that are intelligent and hardworking from the people that aren't. And I think that is just so backwards. And the reason is, is because, you know, there's this great quote, I think it's Mark Twain that says it, but I could be wrong. And he says, if you judge a fish for its ability to climb a tree, you'll have it thinking its whole life that it's an idiot. Something along those lines, I may have gotten some stuff off there. But basically, that's one of the biggest problems is we do not need to be trying to figure out who is the hardworking or intelligent people versus who isn't. Everybody is intelligent in their own way. Everybody's a genius in something. We should be trying to figure out what they're a genius in and then dedicating all of our energy and resources for that particular individual to guide them on that path. That goes back to one size is not fit all. Not everybody can or wants to be or is good at being an accountant, a lawyer, um, I don't know, name something else, um, doctor, fashion designer, artist, whatever it is. I think another con, though, in all of this is, why are you laughing at me? <laughs> you get so passionate sometimes and you start like, yelling at the <laughs> microphone. I'm like, bust a chill. It's okay. I want to blast our listeners ears I know. Off. You're right. Sorry. So another thing I think that's a con is it. the whole system is designed to teach you how to obey to authority and not disobey. Does that make sense? Like in school, we have to obey our teachers. At home, we have to obey our parents. On the streets, we got to obey the police. And then you got to go into a job and obey your supervisor. Your supervisor obeys his boss. And there's a reason for that because people that are programmed Mm -hmm. to obey don't ask a lot of questions and then don't try to confront authority. And it's largely around power and control structures. Yeah. So there's that. That's a little spiel on that. Let's talk about... Just just very briefly, because I think you know more about this. Let's go back to the ancient times, because there was always some for, so, some form of learning, correct? Somewhere along the lines, we got lost, and I'll kind of I'll flat out say this right now. I read an article, and it was it shifted and pivoted when educational systems, particularly in America, became self serving and profitable businesses. Education was not made or meant to be a profitable business. Back in the day, in like ancient India, ancient Greece, 
What is the other place that we have written down? Ancient Egypt. All those places. People didn't really get paid to teach you. You had mentors and you had one-on-one teachers and you had like, quote unquote, um, not shamans. They were like gurus that you had growing up and they would come to your house and they would talk to your kids and teach them about life and all this and math and this, but it was a very balanced structure. There was personal development and then there was skill development. It wasn't just all skill and professional development. It was, there was a balance between the two so that that child could evolve both on a personal level and a professional level and path their own way. But those people did not get paid. This was not an institution. It was not a company. It was not an organization. I mean, sometimes the teachers would get food. They would get like little small stuff, but it wasn't monetary gain. It was focused around providing a service to society and having the rewarding experience of sharing what you learned to others. Now, unfortunately, we're in a system now that in most places doesn't allow for that because you have to pay for your energy bill and your gas to get to work and your food. Um, So back then, it was obviously very different. We've evolved significantly from that time. But in a lot of ancient civilizations, like Nina mentioned, It was a big mixture of personal development, spiritual development, and also practical, real-world learnings for things that could be applied immediately that would be significantly important and valuable for that individual and the community around them. So, for example, they may have learned how to grow their own food, would have been part of their education. They would have learned how to communicate effectively. They would have learned things around mathematics and engineering so they could actually build things for their community that they could live in or travel in. Um, It was much more focused around, you know, in educating themselves for creating a better version of themselves that had valuable applicability to the community that surrounded them and didn't put them in so much of a box. Now, obviously, back then, there were people that were really good hunters and people that were really good engineers and people that were really good mathematicians. And everybody kind of had a thing that they were good at and they focused on, which is somewhat analogous to what we have today. However, I feel like with a big disconnect today is that we're taught today, we're taught a bunch of these skills that when we actually reach the real world, we don't know how to apply correctly in the workforce because we weren't taught this hands-on practical applicability. We're taught much more theoretical information. And then once we get out in the real world, we have no education on how to apply it effectively. And you can ask any major employer about that because that's one of the biggest problems that a lot of like larger companies provide a ton of investment into is what's called workforce development because there's such a major disconnect because universities are not properly providing the right education to people entering the workforce. You've traveled extensively, and and so have I. What would you... Well, let's talk about our education here in the United States versus education in other countries. From a personal experience, I know that when we were growing up, people would want to send their... Whatever country they were living in, except I think Switzerland, not, not those countries over there. They actually like their own system and their educational system is very advanced, but many people in countries such as like India, China, um, give me another country, Korea, they would want to send their kids to America for a better education. You know, like America is the place to go. Like that's where you want to send your kids. And so really, really wealthy families in these countries while we were growing up would send their kids over here for an education. Fast forward to now, 10, 20 years later, they now 
kind of make fun of all of us here and our education because it's just so one-sided. They got got. Yeah, exactly. They got got. It's, it's all based on, they realize now that it's all based on professional development or, you know, quote unquote, professional development. But there is no, they literally go back and say, well, they don't know how to um, be self-aware. They don't know how to ask questions. They don't do this. They don't know what's good or bad for them. Like they know, they can feel it when they come here. They say everyone's like a robot out here. I have one. AKA what I said, indoctrinization society. That's I, what I have got. an example on this. Two weeks ago, my dad's nephew, um, like extended or like really far off nephew and family, came to visit them and he's getting his master's in mechanical engineering at Buffalo University, I want to say. Don't quote me on that. And do you know what he said? He said that in his, mas- in his master's, in his thesis paper, they are not allowed to write about how the robotics industry is about to replace humans in the engineering space. And the reason he was telling my parents is he was asking, he's like, but that's going to happen. We all know it. Why can't we write about it? And when he asked their, his um, professor at the school, he's like, that's the law. Like, that's a, that's a rule here. You got to follow the rules here. And so what does that make me think? Why can't you write about that? Because you're going to, you're... Um, it's because they want you to be dumb to that situation. They don't want you to intellectually challenge what's actually occurring. Because when they create a populace of students that now start questioning that information, they're in fear that they may lose and lower their enrollment rates. They may fear that people may, you know, write and expose this information and it could affect their profit lines. That and their institution bottom line. will not be profitable if that information gets out. Exactly. And so that right there to me happening in the year 2019, right here in New York, is just like mind boggling. And here's this kid from a different country just literally questioning why? Why can't I? So from my travels all around, the more I've traveled, the more I understand that I think, especially the United States, compared to a lot of other countries that in our media, it appears that we're constantly fighting with. I think a lot of that is manufactured, but it appears that way. That's the perception that the U.S.'s educational system compared to a lot of other large countries of our stature is kind of a joke. And yeah, but some, to us here, it's fed as us if we're superior. Yeah, which else. is completely inaccurate. And I wasn't aware of it either until I actually, like, I always thought our educational system was kind of a joke, but I didn't realize how much more advanced other countries were until I started going there and ingraining myself with the society and going into schools and meeting with students and meeting with professors and understanding what they're being taught and how much more advanced they are. I mean, when I was in China, they're teaching students artificial intelligence at its most basic levels in like kindergarten. They're looking for curriculum from like kindergarten, first and second grade on how to teach their students about the most basic principles of AI. I mean, that's pretty remarkable, right? We're not doing anything close to that. And I remember recently when I was on my trip to Russia, I had the opportunity to go speak to a school that focused around science and technology. And their students that I was speaking with there that were in middle and early high school and their understanding of investments and asset classes and financial literacy and how to develop income properties and alleviate yourself from this kind of system that we feel like a lot of people are stuck in here in the States 
they were way more advanced than that. This was the information that I didn't have a better grasp on until law school or afterwards. And these kids were in middle school and they already knew this because they were being educated on it. And in terms of, now that's professional development still. And in terms of personal development, you found that those kids were also more far along than we would be at that level, right? Yeah, for sure. They had a much better understanding and conscious awareness of like their surroundings and how I think things interacted with society and how to better themselves in certain ways. And it was just clear by talking with them, they seemed much more consciously aware of themselves and their surroundings than anybody I've ever met in the U.S. when it comes to people in that same age group. This is solely a question for you. And if you don't have the answer, then that's fine. But looking at this from a bird's eye view, do you think that this educational system, you know, past being a part of the matrix and a profitable thing and a way to keep everybody controlled and dumbed down, um, do you think that this was an experiment? Within the United States? Yeah. That's actually funny. I sometimes wonder that. I feel like back in the day, they put a bunch of people here and they're like, we're going to try to test this. It's like a hodgepodge con- of people. Yeah, here. we're going <laughs> to test this concept on this new society we're going to create. And we're going to see if we can just create the biggest control and power structure ever developed. And we're going to indoctrinate these people and we're going to entertain them. And then we're going to feed them so that their body, we're going to feed them this terrible food and make them think it's great so their bodies don't operate at full capacity so that we can literally like mind control them. And years later, look what we have today, you know, (laughs) now who knows if that's accurate or not, but it's kind of an interesting food for thought to think about. Cause when I look at like our travels, like when we go to other places, like in the United States, the obesity level is outrageous. Like you go to other countries, you don't have people walking around or struggling to walk around as much or people that take up two to three seats on an airplane and, and just are not aware of what they're doing to themselves and just like the, how programmed the mindset is. And it seems like it starts at such a young age. And it also has a lot to do with the companies that are allowed to market the way they are to all different age groups and make it, people think it's okay. That it really does control their mindset. You just don't see that as much in some other countries. Like when we were in you know, Europe and other places and people are just apt to walking more and they're not, and they're more active. It's, it's really interesting. It's like, there's, you know, It's kind of food for thought to think, like, what if this was some big, giant experiment? You can tell, too, by just the basic energy levels. Like, I feel like when we're here, everything is very spastic and loud. And what are you looking at? This thing out the window. There's this billboard up here, and it says, save your money. It's pretty funny because that's something that when I was going through school, uh, Teachers would often say, like, if you want to become successful, save your money. I'm sorry, it's distracting me and caught my attention. And they don't really teach you about saving. Saving your money is great, but it doesn't do it doesn't make you money. If you want to make money, you have to invest money. Money sitting in your savings account does nothing. They don't teach you the two most pivotal things: investing money and then not spending based on all the marketing stuff that's flagged in front of your face, like a car, a house, and all this. But I forget what I was saying. Basic energy levels, Mm -hmm. I feel, in America are very, like, spazzy. It's very hyped up here. You know, like, work, rush hour, this, that. It's, like, super loud and, I don't know, it's very abrasive. The energy is very abrasive here. And when you go to other countries, I feel like people are more laid back. 
And, and I know this is kind of, we're talking right here, it's kind of a blanket statement in a sense, because obviously not every country's like this. Like no, there's, there's sharing... other countries where like the government has literally had to come in and reduce the working hour because people were so overworked and things like that. But even in those cultures, though, I know who you're talking about, even in those cultures, don't you see a much more freedom or a much more free level in the workplace to be more like personally aware like there's that allowance of like consciousness of awareness of trying to be a better person with each other i feel like here though in the workplace it's all business it's all professional there's no room to be good i need your ego your ego is going to make me money like there's a big push on that and i feel like even in countries outside of here that maybe are you know, super hardworking, like Korea, for example, it's tough there, but people in general, there are, they're allowed to be their best selves at work. Aside from the fact that they're expected to work a lot of hours, which I know they're changing and they've changed laws for this. They are allowed to be better versions of themselves. And I feel here in the workplace, if you're not a dickhead, you're not going to get a promotion or you're not going to seem like you care for your job. If you don't show and throw your ego around a few times around the office, you're not going to be looked at as a leader. Does that make sense? No, it definitely makes sense for sure. I think it also something I've learned too is that a lot of these countries I've traveled to, although some of them maybe work, they work really hard, they have a better balance, I would say, of their work and spirituality practice, which I think plays a lot into how they interact. Like you said, they have a more conscious awareness within the work environment. Like I remember when I was in Korea and I've been there several times, like you could leave your computer sitting out on the street for five hours and nobody would take it. And Korea has millions and millions of people in like downtown Seoul walking through. And the biggest reason that they do that, from my understanding in Koreans that I've talked to, is, you know, through Buddhism. And like, you know, I if I take that computer, some, that's I'll, I'll create karma for myself and it will come back. So like, and you live there for a while. Like there's, there's things like that that I notice where it's like, Oh, I used to go to bars there and I would leave my wallet and keys. I, it took me a while to get used to this cell phone, wallet and keys right there on the bar table in like a packed area still there at 6am. Yeah. And this is just from like at a young age, they had a better mix mm-hmm. of academic and personal development when it comes to educational systems. Yeah. All right. So now the whole point of this episode was to kind of bring forth the light to people who maybe did take their traditional route and don't want to use it anymore, or those who have not taken the traditional route and maybe give themselves the excuse that I will never make X amount of money or I will not be ever deemed successful or doors won't open for me because I never went to college or I never went to um, graduate school. That's what we're trying to... We're trying to disprove these things, okay? So someone a few months ago, I was talking to her on the phone and we were talking about our like, basically like our kind of getting to know each other, our, our backgrounds. And she made the, after I shared my story with her, she was not somebody who went, I don't think she went past high school. Um, I could be wrong. And she goes, oh my gosh, like you got that opportunity after blah, blah, blah. And, and then she flat out actually asked me how much I made in that particular job back then. And I told her. And she's like, see, my cap was at X amount. And I, even today, I could never make that much money because I, my parents never pushed me for higher education. She's like, that's the whole reason. I thought two things in that moment. One, 
I think that her saying that she could never make that amount of money was a cop out. Like, I think that was an excuse because in my mind, I think that she could. I see possibilities and potential in everything and anyone. So it kind of took me back and I'm like, wait a minute. In my head, I was like, yes, you can. Like, that's not going to stop you. Jeff Bezos didn't go to higher education. Who else? Bill Gates. I could be wrong about Bill Gates. Um, Elon Musk. Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg dropped out of college. Yeah. And so that's not true. And then the second thing I thought is that what this person believes and perpetually tells themselves of something that happened in the past, this person is continuing to create that now in their current reality. And it's all based on a misbelief of something. It's not true what she said. Um, She doesn't have to believe me for it, but she can also look around and look at the people we just mentioned, like Zuckerberg, okay? That's, That's not correct. So if you are someone in either of these situations, I think that you have to stop looking back to, to the past. I think it doesn't, it doesn't help you to say, I didn't go to school, I don't have a degree, so I'm not going to be successful, or I can't do that thing. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. I think that if you want to do something bad enough and you take action, it may take time, but you can absolutely do anything that you put your mind to. And you can make, if you want to define success with the amount of money you make, I'm just using that as a small example, then you absolutely can make more money than the person who did go to school and is not applying themselves and is kind of just in that same old nine to five, eight to five rut of a life job or a life cycle that you can absolutely go off and do that. The second thing I would say is, or I'm sorry, if you did go to school and now you want to change and you want to go, the job or the thing that you want to do is maybe not something that makes money right away or is non-traditional and isn't really something that you go to school for, but you enjoy doing it, you absolutely can be successful at it. That just because you're starting in your 30s and maybe there's somebody in that industry doing that one thing and maybe they started back in college, like when you were in college, they were doing this thing and now they're successful at it, doesn't mean that you can't start in your 30s and pivot your life towards that thing that makes you happy and learn how to monetize off of it. I think you absolutely can. It's never too late. And I have a another example behind this. I was listening to the Skinny Confidential podcast the other day and they interviewed a mother and a daughter. And I forget their names, but she back in, she's our age, back in 2008 or 2009, she started what you wouldn't call blogging back then, but it was a it was blogging. She would save these little mini articles that she would be writing up after school and save them on her like really, really old ratty HP computer. She fast forward, she always did this for fun, always had it on there every day. And then instead of looking for a traditional job out of college, she started to realize that blogging is all she loves to do. And you have to understand that back in 2008 and 2009, this stuff did not exist. Blogger term was not real. It didn't exist. It was was not a job. This is not something you can capitalize on. It's not something you go to school for. Therefore, you couldn't make money off of it. So this to, to grasp this was very difficult, especially for parents at the time. And this girl, hats off to her that she just gunned it. But she's decided to be a waitress and a bartender for, I think it was like six months to a year, and just put all her effort towards um, her blogging. She didn't even think about money at the time. She just wanted to do what she loved to do. And so she continues to do that. And in less than six months, it clicks in her mind. She said it was a very slow progressive 
move for her. Like she kind of came to these conclusions, conclusions very slowly, like, nah, I want to blog nah, like this, you know, like every step was very slow, how it appeared to her in her mind. Eventually she's like, Hmm, maybe I can turn this blog into a business. Maybe I can monetize off of this. And the rest is history for that girl, you know? And now how many years later, she's like, there were no bloggers at the time. I was one of the first ones out there. And now blogging is actually a career for some people. They make a full-time salary. They live off of it in Los Angeles, California, where we all know it's ridiculously expensive to live out there. And these girls are killing it. And some went to college and some did not go to college. My point in sharing this is you have to be that person, whether you're in school or you're not school, whether you went to school or you didn't go to school. If there's something you want to do bad enough, At any moment, at any age, at any time in life, it's never too late because you can absolutely make it happen for yourself. That's right. I remember when I was growing up, my brothers and I used to play video games and my mom would joke and she'd be like, Brian, come do your homework. You never make a career out of playing video games. Turns out, look at these esports gamers these days. They're killing it. They're making millions and millions of dollars. I should have played a little bit more. (laughs) I also read a quote that success, uh, happiness, what was it? Now I'm forgetting it. Money does not follow, sorry, happiness does not follow money or success. Success and, and success and money follow happiness. You first have to align and be true to yourself. And if that thing that you want to do is not mainstream or is something that doesn't make money yet or no one's done it before, does not at all mean that you can't make it happen for yourself. And I think this is something in our thinking. This is one of those things that I think has to be taught in school, that if you want to, you should shut the past out, shut out the fact that there was never any bloggers or blogging is not a career or you can't make money. That's the past. Okay. 5,000 people before you couldn't do it. That doesn't mean that you today can't do it. Does that make sense? Like you have to know that what you put in your, now we're kind of getting super into it, but Whatever you put into your universe, into your stratosphere, into your mind creates your beliefs. So if you shut out the past and what didn't work for other people, but believe that it's going to work for you and you're going to make it happen, it absolutely eventually will happen for you. Mic drop. Mic drop. Good word. (laughs) All right. Let's go on to books. Enough of this. Um, There's three books here. You want to read them? Sure. So we have three book recommendations for this week that apply to the topics that we've talked about today. The first book is called The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acker. And this book basically explains that society claims if we get that degree, make that money, get that house and car, then we will be happy. And he proved throughout this book that we have it all backwards and that success follows happiness, not the other way around. yeah. Yeah, so that's basically that quote you were talking about. Another book that we have is called Designing Your Life by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. And the third book recommendation is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. That's a really good book. I've read that multiple times. And it basically just lays out habits after studying groups of people that are highly effective and productive and efficient and resourceful with what they do and how they apply those to their lives and then how you can replicate that to implement it within yours. And to leave you guys off with a quote, I have, you have the freedom to experience any reality you desire to. The bridge to carry you to its manifestation is your mind. 
And to explain this, when I read this, I thought of um, the blogger girl that I just gave you guys the example of, that whatever, you, you can create whatever reality you want. You can create whatever career you want. You can have the lifestyle you want. Your only limit is you and your thoughts. If you choose to believe all the things and people that couldn't make it happen, then that's what you're going to bring into your reality. If you believe in yourself and think in the present moment, no, I can and I will, I'm different, I will put in the, I will figure this out, then you absolutely will be successful in doing so. So consciously focus, feed and feel your way to your new creation. You have to ask yourself, what am I manifesting today for my future self as a result of the energy and the thought forms and the feelings that I'm currently investing in? In other words, you have to continuously go within yourself, shut the outside world out and believe that you can and believe that doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter what you have done or haven't done in the past, doesn't matter what education level you have, excuse me, or don't have, you can attain whatever it is, whatever desire it is that you have inside of you. That's right. Very good. Well... Thank you, everybody, so much for joining us today. We're super grateful. We hope you found this content valuable. If you did, we would love it if you left us a review and uh, you know told us some of your thoughts about the podcast. And if you have anything that you'd like us to discuss in the future, please never hesitate to shoot us a note, and we'd be happy to explore it and cover a topic on it. And something, if you guys haven't noticed already, is... Brian and I have started to do micro blogs before every episode, after every episode is released, we try to post once or twice. And I try to kind of recap or take the most important stuff out of our episodes and add them in. You're laughing again. (laughs) And so for this week, I will have the whole water explanation and the tips that lifestyle tips that we had in the beginning of this. So if you missed it or you weren't able to jot it down, it will be up on our Instagram accounts next week. That's right. And now a word from our fake sponsors, Alexa. Even when you turn us off, we're still listening to you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everybody. We hope you have a great rest of your day. And we look forward to speaking with you next time. Take care.